We have been in a series, as you know, called Alpha and Omega. We're going through the book of Genesis and then tying it into the realities we see of God in Revelation. If you know anything about Genesis, it's the beginning of the Bible. And here's what I think is so important about Genesis is that, you know, like in a relationship with people, your first impression can be a really big deal. How many of y'all have just like messed up a first impression real bad? Right, right. It's actually one of my favorite questions to ask people on like the back end of a relationship, like after you've known someone for a while, like, hey, Mr. Aiden, like what, what was your first impression of me? You don't have to answer right now, but I remember actually, funny story, Aiden and I, when we first met each other, we're like super tight now, but I'm not going to lie, like our hangs at first were like really awkward and kind of like obligatory and someone like kind of know people like that where you're like, man, this, this, this don't flow. But then like it starts that way, but then it gets like amazing and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't stick with that first impression because it really, like, I could have missed out on a beautiful friendship. Has anyone ever just, like, misjudged someone on first impression before? Has anyone done that? Yep. That was definitely me with Mr. Aiden. Funny story. But here's what, here's why Genesis is so important is because this is the Bible's version of, like, first impression of who God is. And what we see and what we've been talking about is that God is good, And that we have a God who existed before the creation of time. And then he spoke the earth into creation, into existence. I think it's insane, like for all of my creatives out there. Who are my creatives out there? Yes, yes, yes. There we go. Songwriters, painters, dancers, theater people. That's creative too. Like I think what's crazy is that the very first verb we see of God is not him speaking. It's not him like doing some like miracle necessarily, but he's actually God. The very first verb we see is God is creating something. The very first thing we're introduced to about God is not just that he exists, but that he creates. He speaks things into existence. So Genesis 1 is just like this unpacking of God creating the heavens and the earth, and then Genesis 2, he creates mankind. And he says, this is very good. Then he gives them a job to rule over the earth and and to rule the garden. And then it doesn't take more than three chapters for man to mess it up. (laughs) Man and woman just totally destroy and ruin God's, God's destiny for them. They ruin it, but God makes all things new. And what we see here in Genesis 4, it's it's already just the beginning of God's plan beginning to unravel for the redemption of mankind. And so what happens is is the serpent deceives Adam and Eve, and they they take of the fruit, and they're like blaming each other. They're hiding from God. God pursues them. He says, why are you hiding? Who told you that you were naked? He's pursuing them. And then he assigns a punishment to the serpent for his deception, But then there is a curse that Adam and Eve have willingly taken on because of their sin, which leads them to go out of the garden and to begin to fend for themselves. And we see here, uh, this is like the beginning of where we open up here in Genesis 4. So in Genesis 4, verse 1, I'm going to read the first eight chapters. You may be familiar with this story. It's a little crazy. It's a little brutal. Maybe that's why we took junior high out. This first verse is money right here. Adam made love to his wife Eve. It's the Bible. It's not me. (laughs) And this is the NIV. It's it's, it's not better in other translations. Let me tell you. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. How many of y'all know that my wife and I are pregnant right now? Ow! Hey, real quick. Actually, just while we're here, how many of y'all think we're going to have a boy next year? Do we have team boy in here? Okay. How about team girl? 
Team girl? Wow, okay. I'm keeping receipts. I'm keeping receipts. Okay, so anyway, uh, she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Everyone say Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Everyone say Abel. But for all you Hebrew scholars, I think his name was actually pronounced Abel. Everyone say Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Next slide. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions. Everyone say fat portions. <laughs> from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Everyone say rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Yeah, thanks be to God. <laughs> There's a question mark for Hawkins. Thanks be to God? <laughs> Why? We'll talk about it. Let's pray. Everyone just take a deep breath right here. Father, tonight we don't need more information. Father, this world is loud. Our phones are constantly buzzing. People are constantly talking. Songs are constantly coming out. Videos are constantly being released. News is constantly rushing at us. This world is loud. But God, we are here tonight because we need you. We need your presence and we need to hear your voice tonight. God, through all of the chaos and all of the noise, what we came for tonight is not just to be together. It's not just to worship you because you're worthy, but it's also to hear your voice to let your scriptures and your spirit do deep work in us. All across this room, can you maybe just put your hand on your heart and just pray this if you really mean it. You don't have to pray it if you don't mean it. But I want you just to pray with authenticity and say, Holy Spirit, come and do deep work in my heart. I open my heart to you. Speak to me. Your child is listening. Oh, it's so powerful. I wonder if we said this every day. I wonder how much closer we would know the Father and how much more scripture would jump out to us if we were just to pray that day after day. Let's say it again. Say, speak, Father. Your child is listening. Lord, have your way tonight. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come and speak what you want to speak. Encourage where you want to encourage and confront what needs to be confronted. And Holy Spirit, show us our need for you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
Amen. All right, so here we are, Genesis 4. It's a crazy story. There's a couple of things I want to point out. If you're taking notes, go ahead and pull out your notebook, pull out your pen. Man, I would love it when Pastor Mateo comes back next week if, like, this room is just full of people just taking notes with their Bible, like, jumping in on his message, saying amen. Because, y'all, Mateo's bringing some fire stuff right now. He is crushing it. I would say let's give it up for Pastor Mateo, but he's not here, so it doesn't (laughs) really matter. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Maybe just tell him he's doing a great job at some point. Um, But let's take notes. Let's jump into what God is saying. Here's the first thing I want to point out. I'm just going to walk through this story and point out some specific phrases, specific things that I believe the Lord is highlighting to us tonight. And the first one is this, and write this down. God wants all of us. God wants all of us. What we see here at the very beginning of the story is we got these two brothers, right? And and they both come from from parents who who know God, who have history with God. And so that they know from a young age, okay, like God is like worthy of like bringing an offering. This is like something that God desires from his people is to like bring an offering. But what we see from the very get-go is that they have two very different approaches. We got Abel over here who is bringing the fat portions. Everyone say the fat portions, what that really means, if you just dig a little bit deeper into what that means, that just means that, that Abel, who is tending the flock, is bringing, like, his best. He's, he's bringing the stuff that would be costly to God. Like, like, the fat portions would be the stuff that you would typically want to keep for yourself because it's going to make you prosperous. It's going to feed you, like, all that good stuff. So he's, but Abel is saying, God, in light of who you are, I'm going to bring you something costly, which is contrasted with Cain, who is bringing some of... The, the fruit from the ground. Notice the difference in wording. Abel is bringing the first fruits. Cain is bringing some. He's bringing a little bit. He's not bringing nothing, but he's not bringing all. Two different offerings, two different hard postures, two really different results. And this is something that I, we've talked about before, even with me, is that the way that we approach God in our worship, even like what we did for the last 30 minutes, it actually says a lot about the way that we see God. What I mean by that is a small view of God is going to bring a small view of worship out of your life. If God is like worthy of following when it's convenient, or if you're just kind of like, I'll just show up to church kind of once a week and that's, that's it, you might bring some worship to God. But I guarantee when times get tough, when life gets difficult, when it's not convenient, when your friends aren't around you, or if the songs aren't great, or if like this Mexican worship leader is out of tune, is just not sounding very good, it's like, I don't know if I can bring an offering today, God. (laughs) I don't know. But for those of us who have grasped how worthy and how good God is and how radical the gospel and how radically it's changed our lives, When that begins to take root in our hearts, when we have a bigger view of God, it is going to lead to greater worship in our hearts. Thanks, she's. Thanks, man. We can do more of that if it's good, if it's good. (laughs) But friends, I have a vision of a bunch of Abels in this room. And like I said, I feel like what we saw in that song, All Hail King Jesus, is I saw all of us rise up and give God something costly. I saw hands in the air. I saw, I heard voices raised. And that's just a small picture. That's just what we do here on a Wednesday night with music. But how much more when we see our entire lives as worship unto the Lord. But here's the thing. Worship isn't worship unless it costs us something. 
Worship isn't worship unless it's sacrificial. And why does that matter? It's because God wants all of us. And we can get really excited about giving God some of us, but the second it gets costly, a lot of us maybe can relate to Cain, <laughs> where it's like, I'll show up and I'll, I'll give something, you know? But when, when, when it gets harder, when it gets costly, we back out. I, uh, it makes me think of this story. Um, I used to go to school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A lot of my family still lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So taking a lot of road trips there. And uh, I used to do it, you know, by myself. Sometimes I would do it with my mom. Um, but of course, in the last uh, five or so years, I've been going with my wife, Preem. Uh, that's what you do when you're married. You, you road trip together. And so I'm the kind of driver, I don't know if you guys are like this or if your parents are like this. I'm the kind of guy that's like, if I'm starting the road trip, I'm driving every second, every mile to the destination. I, I'm not interested in switching. I'm not interested in like sharing the load. I just like want to do my thing. Like, I think it's kind of like a power control thing that I have. Like I just want to drive for whatever reason. Is anyone else like that or have parents like that. Okay, cool, cool. So maybe you get what I'm saying. Um, so one day, I mean, we've done so many of these, but one day I was a little bit tired. I forgot like what was going on that week, but I was a little bit tired and I was like, I could power through right now or I could like ask Preem to help. And at the beginning of the road trip, Preem was like, hey baby, like I just want you to know, like if you want to drive, you can. This is my best Preem voice that I got right now. Um, baby, I love my wife. She's so sweet. Isn't Preem the best? Isn't she great? She's going to be a great mom. I love this girl. So we're like in the car. We're like an hour into the drive. Hey, baby, um, if, if you need to sleep or anything, if you get tired, like, just let me know. Like, I, I'm, I'll, I'll help you. I would love to help. And I was like, oh, okay. And in my head, I'm like, I'm good. Like, I'm just going to do my thing. So we're like seven hours in, eight hours into the drive. And I was like, I could power through, but I'm also, I'm feeling like a little bit sleepy. And honestly, like, we had done the drive a lot in like recent months. And I was like, I just... I'm kind of over it. I kind of just want to, like, chill. And so Preem was, like, just waking up from a nap, and I was like, hey, Preem, like, can I take you up on that offer? Like, you want to drive for, like, an hour or so? And she just looks at me. Um, baby, I don't really want to. <laughs> and I was like, I thought you said, like, you wanted to. Like, didn't you say that a few hours ago? I know, but I, now I really don't want to. I, I don't want to drive anymore. <laughs> all right, that's fine. So I finished the road trip, and it's all good. <laughs> But I just think of that story because honestly, I kind of feel like that's how we are with God sometimes. God, I'm here. I'm gonna, I want to give you all of my worship. God, I, I want to I worship you in a way that's costly. God, here I am. All right. And, and then God asks you to do something and you're, you know, God, I don't really know if I want to do that. <laughs> we're here on a Wednesday night and we're like out here. Here I am, Lord, I surrender. You can send me. You know, and then you go like to school on Thursday. God's like, I want you to go pray for that person. You know, God, I don't think I want to. Um, I think I'm good. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to. <laughs> this story is way more fun than I thought it would be. Uh, I can see why Mateo does this every week. This is fun. Um, but we are like that with God. <laughs> we love the idea of worship until it costs us something. We love the idea of giving God our lives until he asks us to do something that's costly. And here we find Cain okay with giving God a little bit but his heart is divided. Everyone say divided. But here's the thing, God isn't okay with some of us. God loves us enough that he's actually jealous for all of us. Because it wouldn't be real love unless our whole hearts were into it. Can you imagine on March 18th of 2019 in Larkspur, Colorado, I'm standing before Preem and I was like, I vow to give you half of my heart. 
I vow to give you 75% of my heart. I vow to give you 90% of my heart, except when the Dallas Cowboys are playing, and then, like, my heart's right there. <laughs> my heart's on that, on that. You know, she's, I've gotten that wrong a couple times, so. <laughs> uh, that's not love. <laughs> love isn't love when you feel like it or when it's convenient. Love is love 100% of the time. That's how God loves us, and that's how he's asking us to worship him and to love him in return. Abel's caught it, but Cain hasn't quite caught it. But here's the thing. God doesn't hate Cain for that. In fact, God actually pursues Cain. We sometimes just jump right to the part where Cain kills his brother Abel. But what we forget is that God pursues Cain in this moment. This is the point, the second point I want to make. Write this down, that God warns us of our sin. Sometimes I think we think that like God is distant when it comes to our sin, like that God didn't warn us or God isn't helping us or God is kind of like, all right, like figure it out. I hope you got this. Like, let's see if you make the right choice here. No, no, God comes knowing full well what is in Cain's heart and he warns him. He says, hey, why is your face downcast? If you do well, you'll be accepted. Like he's giving, he's trying to point out to Cain and then he says something really important. He says, sin is crouching at your door. He's making him aware of the situation. I wonder if any of us have ever had that experience where God is trying to warn you. He's trying to tell you something. I know in my life I felt that. And there's times I've gotten it right, but friends, there's been times that it's, I've gotten it wrong. And it's, been led, it's led to costly mistakes. It's led to things that I regret and things that I would give anything to take back. And, but God is not aloof from us in our sin. God warns us. He's saying, hey, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And then he gives Cain an alternate route. He says, hey, sin is crouching at your door, and I'm calling you to rule over it. Everyone say rule over it. This is the alternative, and it's actually meant to bring our memories back to Genesis 1 and 2. Does anyone remember when God first creates Adam and Eve? He gives them a command. Does anyone remember what that command is? He gives them kind of like a commissioning, a a job to do. Does anyone remember? Oh, say it loud. Say it loud. Be fruitful and multiply. What was the second part of the command? What was it? Have dominion over the earth. Other translations say rule over the earth. Do you guys see the parallel here that that we're supposed to see? Is that in Genesis 1, God is saying, hey, I'm asking you to rule. When when man is made perfect and, and they are very good, God is saying, hey, I want you to take dominion over the earth. I want you to rule over the earth. You see, you and I, we were born to, to lead and to have authority and dominion and, and, and rulership over the earth. And now God is saying that same thing to Cain. He's saying, hey, sin is crouching at your door and I'm asking you to rule over it. That's what God is inviting Cain into. But this is the difficult part. You can write this down. This is point number three, is that we are unable to conquer our own sin. We're like Cain. Maybe we haven't murdered our brother. I hope none of you have murdered your brother. Thought about it. You thought about it. Thanks for your honesty, man. It's a safe place, man. Safe place. (laughs) We are unable to conquer our sin. You and I, we've had these moments where we're on the verge of sin and compromise, and God in his love for us is saying, hey, I'm warning you, sin is crouching at your door. You have a choice here to rule over your sin, to take dominion over your sin, to step into your God-given authority, and to say no. 
but we are like Cain and we fall into sin. We are like Adam who failed to take dominion in that moment, who took the fruit. We're like Eve who failed to take dominion and we took the fruit. We are like Cain, unable to conquer our own sin. This is you and I. That's me. That's you. And here's the thing. Sin has kind of three primary consequences that I want us to see. You could, you could phrase it in a lot of different ways, but there's kind of three primary consequences that sin has in our lives. And I want to put these up on the screen. I want you to write these down. Write these down. First thing is that sin fractures relationships. Sin has a way of fracturing these holy, beautiful relationships that God has set for us. Think about, think about Genesis 3, the very first sin that ever happens. What relationship is fractured in the first sin at the garden? God and man. The relationship is fractured. It was man's disobedience, turning their back, having the suspicion that God was not good, and choosing to be their own God, choosing their own way. It fractured the relationship between God and man. But it wasn't just spiritual. Then think about after, after the fruit is taken, God comes and he's saying, Adam, where are you? And if you guys were here last week, Pastor Mateo broke this down so well, where Adam stands up and he blames the woman. <laughs> like such a failure of a man. Just completely blames the woman, blames the wife. This woman, God, you gave me. <laughs> gave me the fruit and I, I took it. But, 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 but she gave it to me, <laughs> knowing full well that God had told him not to. So what do we see here in Genesis 3? It's not just a fractured relationship between God and man. It's a fractured relationship between man and woman. And then you turn the page to Genesis 4, and now we have the fracture of family. Now we have the fracturing of brother and brother. And what you see as you go on in the book of Genesis is you just see the ripple effects of more and more fracturing going on because of sin. Sin fractures, relationships, friends, we are kidding ourselves if we think that when we sin, it's just hurting us. It fractures relationship with God. It fractures relationship with your family. Like it says in point number two, sin harms others. Like even just think about the story, quite literally, Abel is murdered. (laughs) Our sin harms others. Think about the grief that that Abel's parents, Adam and Eve, felt when they found out that their brother was dead because his brother killed him. Our sin harms other people. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Victor, the sin that I'm dealing with kind of just affects me. You could come to me with any sin, and I'm telling you, it is affecting the people around you. It's fracturing relationships, and our sin harms other people. And third, Sin displaces us. There's this moment in Genesis 4.12. I don't know if we have the, the screen up there. Oh, we do. This is the Lord's response when he finds out that Abel is dead. He confronts Cain. He says, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now you, as in Cain, are under a curse and driven from the ground, which its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work from the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. And catch this. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. 
on top of all of this that's attached to the curse of Cain's sin, the end of that curse is that he's displaced from home. He's displaced from this sense of settledness. Sin has a way of displacing us. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden when they sin, what happens? They have to leave. They have to move on from the garden. They are displaced from the garden. And now here is Cain, because of his sin, because he was unable to conquer his own sin, he is displaced. And everywhere he goes, he'll never find home. Sin fractures relationships. Sin harms others. Sin displaces. And the worst part of it all is, like I said, we are unable to conquer our own sin. And so now that we're all like feeling it, we're feeling like the the weight of this. Maybe some of us have even been reminded of our own sin. Maybe some of us are even like kind of feeling tight in our chest like, oh, I know that I was wrong and I get it. Or maybe some of you had no clue where you were wrong and God is convicting you right now. Friends, I have really good news for you. Write this down, but then let this go deep into your heart. Hear me when I say, friends, that God's faithfulness is greater than our failures. God's faithfulness is greater than our failures. Some of you need to hear that and some of you need to receive this tonight. Though you are unable to conquer your own sin, though you have tried and tried and failed and failed, you need to hear this tonight. Look in my eyes when I say that God's faithfulness is greater than your failure. You're saying even that sin? Yes, that failure. God's faithfulness is greater than that failure. The thing that you feel like you are shackled with, the thing that you feel like you can't shake, the thing that feels like it's this cloud hanging over you, this weight and this pressure, these chains that won't break. And while it may go well for a few days, you find yourself back under this heavy yoke of oppression. Friends, I'm talking about that sin in your life. God's faithfulness is greater than your failure. As I was praying for us tonight, I just felt like the Father was saying, some of my kids just need to hear that your sin has not conquered you. I have conquered your sin. You are not conquered by your sin. Jesus conquered your sin. Here's what I mean by that, and this is how it relates to Cain and Abel. You see, I believe that Jesus is the better Abel. Jesus is the better and greater Abel. Here's why. Because one, just like Abel gave an offering to the Lord, Jesus gave all of himself as an offering to the Father. Where Abel brought the fat portions and this pleased God, Jesus gave himself. And the wrath of God was satisfied on that day. And not just that, but in the same way that Abel was murdered by his brother, so was Jesus murdered. But Jesus' death brought redemption, (laughs) and it conquered the curse of sin in your life, in my life, for the life of the world. Can someone say amen tonight? Jesus is the better Abel. (laughs) His murder, his death, brought life and life to the full. Can I have the worship team come on up?
We need to catch this tonight. Jesus is the better able. Because in you and I's inability to conquer our own sin, here came the Son of God who lived a perfect and sinless life. Fully God, fully man, he comes in Bethlehem and he experiences what you and I experience. He experiences temptation. He experiences loss. He experiences loneliness and betrayal. He takes on the weight of the world literally on his shoulders. He is taking the weight of you and I's sin, the sin that you and I are unable to conquer. Here comes Jesus taking on that weight on his shoulders, and it's nailed to a cross. Jesus humbled himself, taking on the nature of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But friends, the story doesn't end there. Our Jesus, the lamb that was slain, the lamb of God, the one who became our sacrifice, the one who took you and I's punishment, that lamb of God, he rose again three days later. That Jesus rose again three days later, defeating death and sin forever. Friends, if you feel like you can't conquer your sin tonight, look in my eyes when I say, Jesus has conquered your sin. And because he has conquered your sin, you are more than a conqueror through Jesus. That's not Victor's inspirational saying for the day. That's Romans 8. That's Romans 8. It says you. Everyone say me. You. You are more than a conqueror. Your sin has no dominion over you. You know who has dominion over your life? Jesus. Jesus conquers. And I love, I love that tonight that Lindsay read from Revelation 5. Because that's where I want to land tonight as well. Revelation 5, what's happening here is that John is having a vision in heaven. It's this epic moment of worship. Chill out, fellas, chill out. John is having this epic moment, this revelation of who God is. All that revelation means, it just means unveiling. It just means like revealing, like like a veil being moved so that you can see something more beautifully, more clearly. And here's what's on the other side of this revelation. Revelation 5, it's up here. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, the Lamb representing Jesus. And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Why am I reading this? Drew, we can go and bring the lights down. Why am I reading this? It's because like Abel was slain, Christ was slain 
but the only difference is that the blood of Jesus purchased us. It purchased us. Meaning that you are no longer owned or conquered by your sin. That means that for those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is the son of God, that means that his blood and what he says about you is true about you. That means that he rules and he reigns over your life. If you're talking to someone right now, now's not the time. His blood purchased you. And not just that, but notice how it says that he made us to be a kingdom and priests to God. Priests are meant to minister to the Lord like Abel did. (laughs) Bringing to the Lord an offering. He made us to be priests and a kingdom. And what do kings do in a kingdom? They rule. They rule. They have dominion. God is restoring us back to our Genesis 1 identity. But it's not because of you and I's strength. We don't get to rule over our sin or rule over the earth in our strength. But because he was slain, his blood purchased us. So the most true thing about you, if you hear nothing else tonight, the most true thing about every single one of you who believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior is that your sin does not conquer you. Jesus conquered your sin, so you are his now and forevermore, period, end of story. Can we stand to our feet? Let's come forward. No one talk. I don't want to hear one one word. Come to the front. We're going to finish tonight with worshiping. Thanking God for what he has done. I just sense tonight that for some of us, some of you just need to hear this. Like I said earlier, that you have been fighting. You've been fighting the good fight. You have been trying to maybe conquer a sin, a habit of sin. You've been You've been wrestling and struggling and it feels like your sin has dominion over you. Tonight is the night that I want all of us to be reminded what Christ has done for us and in view of what Christ has done for us, we are reminded who we are in Christ. You are sons and you are daughters. You have been purchased and redeemed by the blood of of Jesus. Friends, hear me tonight. Look me in the eyes when I say you are not your sin. You are not your sin. And when the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness, the perfection, and the blood of Jesus. That's over your life, meaning that because God the Father sees Jesus as his son, that means that he sees you as his son and his daughter, his precious and beloved child. So for those of you struggling with shame tonight, be free in Jesus' name. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
For those of you who are fearful that God is condemning you, I speak Romans 8.1 over your heart and your life and your mind right now that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Father's arms are open wide for you tonight. He's welcoming you. Just like the prodigal son in Luke 15, he's saying, come home, my child. Put a ring, he'll put a ring on your finger, a robe on your back, a crown on your head. Not because you're able to conquer your own sin, but because Christ conquered your sin. We, uh, we did this last week in leaders. I'm sorry, I didn't warn you. If you're a leader in this room, I just want you to get on the, on the sides, on the walls here. Make yourself available. Friends, last week, Pastor Mateo led us into a space where we prayed, where we got prayer. If, if there's something going on in your life, if you need someone to speak just the truth and identity of the gospel over you, if you need someone to pray with you, to contend with you for something you're fighting through, struggling with, we're going to open it up. We're going to sing a few more songs, and we're going to respond in praise and gratitude to what the Lord has done but I also want to have these leaders just be available. Leaders, just to make it clear, just go ahead and line up on the, on the walls on the side, on the white walls. If you need prayer, I want you to leave this spot and to go for it. But let's take a moment. Before we sing anything, can we just get in a posture of worship? Whatever that is for you. If you want to get on your knees, if you want to open your hands but get your eyes off of the things that are going on the stage. Let's get our eyes on the cross, the thing that defines us. And for the next two minutes, I don't want us to sing anything yet. I want us to be so bold to listen to the Father's voice. I believe that God wants to speak to you tonight. We're going to ask him a simple question. This is for everyone. I want you to ask, Father, what do you think about me?